the CFO would is not just looking after uh, himself or what he would be doing, but he should also look the finance function as a whole. What would his team look like? How would they deliver value? How would they support him in that function? Welcome to CFO Talks by Aspire, a podcast where we showcase leaders who are bringing finance back to the driving seat of their company's growth in Southeast Asia and beyond, from fundraising to M&A, to regional expansion and leveraging new technologies to give your company a competitive edge. Find out from Southeast Asia's top finance leaders themselves. I'm your host, Joel, and welcome to CFO Talks. All right, welcome to CFO Talks. Today, we have a very exciting guest from a brand I believe most of us recognize. Jared Valarao is the CFO of Philippines Air Asia, and he joins us all the way from Manila. Welcome, Jared. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are in the world. Welcome to CFO Talks. Now, Jared's not your conventional CFO. He actually has a very unique background with experience that spans from PE, audit, but also interestingly has held commercial roles at FMCG companies like Colgate. More recently, Jared sits at the helm of the finance function of AirAsia Philippines and led the company through some very interesting times during the pandemic. We'll dig deeper into what it was like to work for one of the world's biggest aviation companies during a global pandemic. But first, aside from all these professional accolades, Jared, tell us, outside of work, who is Jared Valaro? Interesting question. I was about to say, oh, I'm Jared Valaro, the CPA, but enough of that. Let's just say that outside work, I am a photographer. I do a lot of fashion photography 10 years back. And then I fell in love with landscapes and travel and portraits. So from doing fashion photography to ordinary editorials of daily life is something that I do. And sometimes I actually have them printed and sell them. That's me uh, being an entrepreneur. And sometimes I do teach uh, financial planning. How, what's insurance? What are taxes? I do it in schools, in uh, public schools, in uh, training centers. It's sort of an advocacy for me. And lastly, I do Muay Thai. I love Muay Thai a lot. It has been a sport since I am 16 years old. And I've been doing it for, for quite a while. And it's one of the things that I do visit when I'm in Thailand. And thanks to AirAsia, we travel there for free. Or almost free. Oh, really? Is that an internal perk in the company? Yes, it's an, as an all-star, we are entitled uh, to travel with the company shouldering most of the cost. And thank you very much for, for AirAsia for making it possible for people like myself to experience the world. Oh, that's amazing. That's that's a really unique uh, perk and, and I'm sure it adds to the culture of the company. Take us from the start, right? I mean, you, you obviously are an extremely polymath, uh, colorful character, right? With interest in like photography, uh, obviously the finance function, like you mentioned, but also Muay Thai. I mean, what did you study initially and, and what was your journey from there? Oh, I have actually a very colorful journey. I started as an academic scholar in my uh, previous years because I came from uh, from very humble beginnings. As an academic scholar, I have to study a lot. But then when I reached college, I sort of got tired of studying a lot. 
So I explored my entrepreneurial side. That's where I get to uh, know Muay Thai. And at the same time, I get to sell a lot of stuff from from random buying and selling clothes to uh, food to meat products and to perfumes, manufacturing perfumes. It's not illegal yet to copy perfumes as long as you don't use the, the same name. You would just say it smells alike. So those kinds of stuffs uh, I did in my undergraduate. I passed the board exams when I was 21, almost 21. And I'm a bit fearful because in order for you to be a CPA in the Philippines, you have to be 21 years old, not almost 21. Oh, so I was like, oh, okay. they might revoke my license. But anyway, they, they didn't. <laughs> I started my career as an auditor uh, for Punong Bayan and Arroyo Grand Thornton International. Uh, I did a lot of risk management services consulting. And that's actually where I fell in love with managing a business. I said that, oh, I just don't want to be someone who is looking at the operations of the business and, you know, nitpicking what's bad there or telling them, oh, that's good. But I want to be part of it. I want to be the one leading it. And you see, coming from uh, from very humble beginnings, especially in the Philippines where the labor, labor market is very huge, competition is very stiff and employers are like not that, you know, keen on on exploring talent. So I have to push and push and push uh, for myself and advocate that, no, I want to move from this role, from, from an audit role to a finance role, to a commercial role, to a leadership role. And that's that's probably mm. what led my career, for, you know, from one organization to the next, from one role to the next. Right. Mm. Were you sort of moving roles within the same company or was that sort of like, you know, you charted you kind of were you intentional about charting that path? It was quite intentional when I chart, charted that path. Um, so after after being an auditor in public practice, as we call it in Grand Thornton International, I went to the central bank. I actually worked for the central bank of the Philippines, Banco Central ng oh. Pilipinas, for more than a couple of years auditing banks. That's where I learned how to do financial modeling. And after doing a lot of financial, so modeling, so you were you were in, you were an auditor. At a company at first, mm-hmm. and then you went on to to audit banks at the at the central bank. Yes, as a I I audit banks, or as, as we call it, we examine banks for their compliance. Before I went to do a lot of financial modeling uh, jobs for private equity uh, firms. Got it. And after and after the private equity. So in private equity, I did a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, uh, projects and a lot of pitching. And after I got that kind of skill, you know, storytelling, presentation, making uh, the numbers speak, so 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 as to say, you know, not just speak but have a story, and making it interesting as well. That's the time that I applied for commercial roles. And interesting, and and so I'm I'm gonna sort of deep dive on that because that's that's a very interesting point. Like you you feel that story is kind of linked with with a more commercial role mm-hmm. can, can you tell me more about why why you think that way in order for at least in my mindset in order for you to lead a business uh you have to look at both the front office and the back office the back office you have the finance procurement hr all those things that moves behind the shadows of the company in order to deliver but in order for you to have a very successful business you have to be able to attract a certain market, capture it, and establish a name for yourself 
so that you would be able to sustain the resources in order for you to grow the back business. In order for someone like myself who came from humble beginnings, I don't really have a huge amount of funds to you know to manage my own business. I have to learn it sure. from institutionalized organizations, from organizations like Colgate Palmolive, from Natura Enco, from Schneider Electric, from those big businesses who would entrust someone like myself to run it. And that's actually where you know where I'm targeting to get that kind of experience. And I'm thankful that you know the organizations were able to trust me and I was able to lead some impactful projects for them. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about selling and marketing. It's all about making relationships work with the various stakeholders that you transact with the businesses. And uh, that's something that you know I have learned and at the same time experienced during my transactions with my, how do I say this, with my colleagues, past and interesting. And interesting that you use the word transactions, but uh, that I, I, I can also see why. In, tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, you had spent some time at Colgate and, and it was a very commercial role here, mm-hmm. right? In fact, one would argue that it's, it's obviously finance is still involved, but you were actually hitting revenue growth here. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about, about that experience? Uh, and you are correct. This is not an, a finance role, but more of a marketing role. It stands as an intersect between marketing, sales, finance, and anything commercial, anything that touches the customer and touches the top line of, of Colgate. And as you know, when the top line is touched, almost every touch point with the customer, almost every transaction with the customer is also touched from supply chain to credit and collection, to brand marketing, to retail marketing. All those things are uh, somehow in the purview of, uh, of revenue growth management, but it's also matrix, meaning there, is, there are respective leaders that's managing those functions. And it's not just me who's calling the shots, but it's a collaboration of shorts, sorts with all those leaders. And then going back to myself. And yes, finance is a very integral part of it. Because at the end of the day, one of the roles of, uh, of an RGM person is to assess, are we making money of this transaction? If you're not making money of this transaction, what are we gaining? So we would say that, oh, maybe we're gaining you know, some points in image or getting the brand love, as we call it. So if you're generating brand love, how can we actually sustain that so that we would have that kind of recall, we would have that kind of impression, that positive impression towards our customers so that they would keep coming back. At the end of the day, what one of the, the key concepts of you know a company in the fast-moving consumer goods segment is for customers to always come back and buy more. Okay, so there's, there's a lot, yeah, that's of a repeat business kind of, of game. Mm-hmm. What what do you think were the drivers when you were hitting revenue growth at, at Colgate, right? What, what are the drivers for FMCG company? I've, I, it's an interesting question for me. Hmm. So uh, in consumer goods, it's always about volume. You would always want to capture volume. Um, of course, uh, People will say, oh, you have to have focus, you have to have profitability. That's correct. That's correct. And it's very important to, to be profitable. But at the end of the day, you want to capture a certain part of that market. Generate that, that brand love, that kind of brand reputation that people will always come back for it. They will establish that there's a value perception for that brand. And after that, you would be able to expand your portfolio wisely 
not spreading it too thin, but not too small that people would find it very restrictive and selective that, oh, this is just known for this and you know I can't, I can't buy anything else from, from this brand. You want to give them as a, uh, a selection that would delight them. And at the same time, a selection that is profitable for, for the company. Cool. So with profits, I'm going to maybe dive into the next part of your journey. I mean, I'm sure this is a question on all our listeners' minds. Like, how does someone go from, you know, a, a very commercial role at an FMCG company uh, to become the CFO of what is just as large a company, right? The CFO of AirAsia. Well, first, it's not an easy transition. As with any transition, it requires a lot of hard work. It requires a lot of study. And even as much as you prepare for, for, for that meeting, for that next role, once you're there, there's always a bunch of surprises. It can be some personalities. It can be an external, external item that's not disclosed until that last moment. Being in a finance role, from, from a commercial role, switching to a finance role, especially from well, someone with an extensive background in finance. I do have an extensive, extensive background in finance. It's not that difficult. It's about knowing what you are good at and which areas you need help. And then having a, a team that would you would be able to depend on. And when I say team, it's not just your subordinates, but also your peers, your colleagues, and even your, your upper management. Everyone in AirAsia advocates for the success of, of everyone. Cool, but tell me about that journey, right? Like, how how did you actually end up there? Was it a conversation? Was it an introduction? It is more of a conversation. They were able, the organization was able to to find me. Probably they find that someone who has a commercial know-how, who, who came from a multinational company, who has been both in commercial roles and in back office roles, who knows how to put things from the ground up. Those things are are the things that may have they found attractive. And that's the reason why they hired me. And plus the attitude, of course, in aviation and as a as an all-star in Air Asia. Initiative is very much something that is uh you know delighted up. You want people who are have this service-oriented attitude, who's passionate about their work, who would always smile even when it's an adversarial circumstances. So tell me, what does the CFO of AirAsia actually do, right? What are your primary responsibilities? How do you look at it? How, how would you bucket it? As a chief financial officer, you are the primary steward of the resources of the company. It is your job to ensure that all the resources are safeguarded and ensure that as we use the resources, the assets of the company, it is being used productively. Most CFOs are not just, you know, as guardians of the assets of the company, of the resources, but they're also mindful of how it is being grown. So they are also part of the operations. You would see a lot of uh, job descriptions nowadays that companies are looking for CFOs and COOs in just one person. Or they would probably mm. look for a head of finance and a COO. Or they would see in a job description that the CFO is handling both commercial and finance. And why is that? Because... The CFO is the in the best position to advocate for what might be the next best thing for the company to help charter the strategy with the CEO. Yeah, let's let's talk about uh, CFOs today. The modern CFO no longer just being a guardian of 
resources. I think that's that's an interesting way to to look at it. Some people have, you know, called that financial control, mm-hmm. for example, right? That's but correct. but you actually believe and 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 see a model or a future where CFOs are very involved in the operations. That's correct. The CFO's job, yes, is to ensure the resources are properly managed, but it is also his job to ensure the viability of the company, sustainability of the company in the future. And CFOs are required to be proactive nowadays as part of the C-suite, as we call it. He has this responsibility to guide the CEO and inform him that, okay, this decision has this impact. Not just the financial impact today, but what would be the impact in the future? And when I say future, he would be able to articulate the timelines and what would be the past possible financial results amongst those timelines and what are the operating assumptions involved. And in order for him to understand that kind of forecasting, that kind of predictive mm-hmm. quality, he has to be inside the operations of the business, talking to his peers talking to the uh, the subordinates of his peers, talking to the team, and understanding what is driving the business forward. And if this is driving the business forward, he has to look outside and look at you know, the external scan of the business. What's the market? Is this the mar- is the market? Are we responding towards the market? Do we have the products that the consumers would love? Are we delivering the right products at the right price and are we profitable from it? If we are not profitable from it, why are we still doing this? Is there a sense as to how we would do this? The traditional CFO would say that we are not making money, we should just stop it, you know, cancel it. But for someone who would you know, be advocating towards the business, the first question would be- The future of the business. The future of the business, that's correct. The first question would be the why. Why are we doing this? So we are generating a lot of losses from this product line? Why are we maintaining it? And he would not stop with with the question or with that simple answer that, oh, because we're generating brand love or we're generating market share. So if you're generating brand love, how much is that brand love is? Can we generate it in some other terms? If not, then okay, how long do we have to do this? Because if we do this for so long, this would be the impact. I love this because I see how it all ties together now, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a storytelling aspect to this, which you articulate through a projection, a numbers projection, as well as a future view of the company mm-hmm. and sort of being very involved in creating that profitable future view, right? Through your experience of like being responsible for revenue growth as well. And also, you know, you talked a little bit about working with the CEO. I would love to also get your thoughts on a company that has a very famous CEO, for example. But first, talking about resource allocation, right? Mm-hmm. How does a low-cost airline think about resource allocation? What What are the main cost items or allocation areas that you look at? Mm. Any low-cost carrier would say that, oh, we're looking at leases, our aircraft leases. We're looking mm-hmm. at um, fuel, definitely. Fuel is very, is very volatile. And uh, there should be a separate think tank on how we would procure fuel, how to take advantage of uh, the tax perks, so on and so forth. Then you also would have spare parts and engineering items. So uh, a bird strike may cost you a lot of money, and not just about you know, and not just about money, but also it would sacrifice your on-time performance, especially when uh, right now that we are still trying to get all of our planes up. 
we have to be very careful of how we manage our fleet in order for us to deliver good on-time performance to our passengers. Interesting. And and I would imagine maybe another piece would also be sort of staffing, right? Definitely. Uh, but curiously, you see, yes, we the staffing is, is something that we would like to say as you know a very top item. But in a low-cost carrier, we are very conscious about you know the ratio of the people that we have. Because we are a low-cost carrier, we cannot afford to have so many people and have a very bloated staff. AirAsia is one of those companies who avoided who really avoided trying to lay off people. We tried to, as much as possible, to keep our all-stars. And we are the ones as well who tried to get them back when we are when we are already, you know, back on our feet. And yes, even though we say that staffing is uh, quite expensive, but vis-a-vis leases and, and fuel costs, right. those are very huge. And engineering items, those are very huge items that, you know, that, that we have to carefully track. And staff, if you if we watch if you watch a staff ratio well, and we we empower them, the return is very very massive. You would see uh, exponential growth in and our salaries. You would see a very good governance when it comes to savings and uh, resource alloc- resource management initiatives. Yes, so I would not say that staffing is a very big cost item for now, mm. especially if you're yeah, smart. Probably not a cost either, but I can tell, you know, from, from the way that you're talking about it and also just from, from the naming, right, of all stars, I, I can tell that it's an area that you guys have invested in, thought hard about and, you know, not and not necessarily viewed as a cost item, but but maybe uh, even a, a secret sauce, right, or, or a secret ingredient uh, to what makes a low-cost airline work. Mm-hmm. As, as a low-cost airline, how do you balance cost efficiency with providing quality service to your customers? It's all about having that kind of volume in place and being very focused on which services we provide. At the end of the day, it's all about having that focus mm. on delivering quality quality and value for money uh, services to our passengers. One may argue that, oh, this is you know far from... This airline and this airline that they are comparing is actually a full service airline. It's not a low cost airline. And yet, even we as a low cost airline are able to provide a semblance of such service. Say, for example, a a late flight, we would provide refreshments. It may be not, you know, uh, from a five star restaurant, but we try to make it, you know, as delightful to our customers Mm -hmm. and provide excellent uh, customer service as much as possible, as much as we can. Right. No, I like that. So basically being, you know, razor focused on what is the actual service that you provide, no bells and whistles, uh, but, you know, for what the customer wants, you're providing everything that, that they want in, in, in that ticket. We maximize um, the customer journey. And that's something that, you know, mm. it's, uh, that's a mindset that I bring along with me when I came from the fast moving consumer goods and something that I echo a lot. Because our CEO, Tony Fernandez, has always reminded us of that concept. He is always all about the customer, all about the Interesting. Tell, tell me more about Tony Fernandez, right? Like uh, definitely, you know, well-known figure. Um, have you worked with him directly? How has that relationship been like? Any stories to share? Tony is bigger than life. That The man is a genius. Uh, he is able to digest very complicated concepts and deliver them quite simply. 
he is very straight to the point. Quite funny. Uh, quite. <laughs> he, well, he is funny. <laughs> I I would say that he is an excellent mentor. I would love to you know anytime any day I would love to work with that guy. Tell me who who do you work with on a day to day basis, right? Mm-hmm. Who does the CFO work with in the context of a low cost airline? So every day, I the, definitely the CEO works always with the CFO, and uh, I'm working with my uh, CEO in the Philippines, Ricky Isla. He's also an excellent mentor, uh, hard towards his people, and um, we form quite a balance as to me being the 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 money guy and him being the people guy. You see. From the standpoint of a CFO, while you get where the CEO is coming from, you have to form sort of a devil's advocate in order to get the best decision from from the CF from the CEO. And then after talking with him, you would also talk to his staff. You know, head of engineering, uh, the country people, head the the ancillary people, the flight operations people, uh, the procurement people. It's not just you know talking to just one person or just a certain group of person people, but rather you want to deep dive not uh into the staff, knowing what are they actually after, and of course lastly and most importantly, the CFO should always look after his team. He should have you know a certain safety net, which is his team, for trusted lieutenants who would actually run the day to day business. Uh, of the finance operations because finance operations has a lot of deliverables from month end closing requirements to tax returns and filings to compliance and regulatory um, activities and submissions and then of course the month end reporting the presentation to the board of directors of what has happened these are the things that you know uh, that's being done on the background while the CFO is busy liaising and, and communicating and strategizing for the future of the company and you know fixing the 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 fires here and there so yeah it's so it's sort of a balancing act for us and it, you know if if you were just to break down your your sub teams right mm-hmm. uh really quickly what what would that be that would be controllership uh treasury and working capital fpna So investor relations sits between uh, FPNA and Treasury and Working Capital. In my role as uh, as the CFO, investor relations is a very important item. Given that we are trying to raise funds for for the airline in order for us to ramp up our operations. Tell me a little bit about that fundraising process. Who 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 are the investors? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does a, a company at that size think about raising funds? So coming from the pandemic. It is not an easy task to raise funds, at least conventionally, because uh, more likely than not, especially airlines such as ours, we have already maximized collateralizable assets. So we have to think outside the box: which customers would like to invest in us, which vendors would like to strike a strategic partnership with us, which lessors would be able to extend us a lifeline in exchange for what. And that's the balance that we have to strike. But as we go and negotiate and ask for those uh, items, and as you all know, sometimes the asking party would always like to get the you know the odd part of the deal. But it's not always the case. It can be a, a win-win mm. situation for both the asking party and the granting party. 
No, it's really interesting that, I mean, you know, thinking out of the box for, for raising funds, right? Mm. And it's, it's not necessarily your, your typical type of investment, but, you know, it can come in the form of partnerships or, uh, or you know, some of your, your long supplier relation, long-term supplier relationships. And you mentioned also something about the pandemic, which is something that I'm extremely interested to talk to you about because I'm sure that there must have been major changes uh, in the company when you were there throughout the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. I think airlines were probably at the extreme end of the stick here uh, in, in terms of impact. Uh, what can you tell us about, you know, the, 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 the financial impact and, and lessons that you may have learned from the entire pandemic experience. Hmm. I joined AirAsia during its recovery. So from the tail end of the pandemic up to you know now the ushering of the new normal. And I would say that during the pandemic, uh, vendors, external parties, um, the government, they are more lenient given that they understand you know the impact that the industry has to endure uh, and of course, the, there's sympathy towards not just the, the 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 airline, but the people within it. But you see, the Philippines being a labor exporting country, uh, it's one of the things that Air Asia has leveraged. So uh, Air Asia has worked with the mm. government in bringing back uh, Filipinos back into into the country, and not just in the country, right. but into the respective uh, home provinces. So they have been quite in instrumental in that regard. This this was during the, the pandemic Dur or part of the recovery phase? During the pandemic. During the pandemic. Okay. There, is the, there is demand. There's a lot of people who wants to go home. And I would, I'm proud to say that Air Asia was actually one of those airlines who helped during the pandemic. And it did not, it did not resort into profiteering by be giving very, very high fares, but they negotiated with the government, mm -hmm. the, uh, the airline negotiated with the government in helping to bring back the Filipinos back to their family. Wow, that's, that's a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. um, what, what else happened? Ah, well, during the recovery, it's a different story because, you know, when, when uh, people saw that everything is opening up, everyone was like lining up and saying, oh, we want our money, which is true. And that's where, you know, you, that's where the patients should come in uh, because the, the airline has uh, incurred a lot of debts. Say, uh, they were not uh, able to pay right. airports because of the pandemic. They were not, they, uh, they, the airlines didn't have enough cash to settle their debts during the pandemic. You know, uh, airport charges, landing takeoff charges, and the likes. They have accumulated over time and interest has accrued as well. And those are the things that you, you have to talk to, to stakeholders, and you have to be very cognizant of what they want. Sometimes you also have to wear a business hat in those instances in saying that, okay, because everyone wants their piece of, of the pie. But the thing okay, is, yeah. it's the, the pie is very limited, can't please everyone. So th that's where the conversation comes in. And that's the reason why I... I go and speak on behalf of Air Asia, or, uh, or as myself, as the CFO, and saying that actually we are here. We are proud to show our faces because we are here to make you whole. Please give us some patience. I'm sharing with them our recovery story, how we were able to, to turn the odds and make it work for us, and continue to delivering the service that people have always wanted. We are actually the world's best low-cost airline, according to, to Skytrax, for the 14th year running. 
it's something that we are very proud of and it's a service that we want to continue to deliver. I'm sure those conversations must not have been easy. But what also strikes me, how much of this is actually not just, you know, based on on your financial skill set, right? Like in, in order to really navigate situations like that for the right outcome, um, th- there's a huge sort of like people or relationship element to it, negotiation element of it. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell me more about that? How did you hone your negotiation skills? I attended a, a negotiation course in MIT, Sloan, if that's, if that's some help. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, in negotiation, it's all about you knowing yourself very quite well. What are your financials? Where do you stand? What is your strategy? Where would you want to head? If you know yourself quite well, then you can actually go out there and do your homework to the other to the one that whom you're negotiating with. What is the external environment to them? Why do you think they are there in the negotiation table? What are they after? Of course, they are they want to get their money back. That's true. But then what else? Is there a way where you can actually work together, profit together, be in business together? Because the pandemic is uh is a long hiccup, yes. It has crippled a lot of companies. It has turned a lot of relationships from sweet to sour to bitter. But then there's also this quality about redemption, right? It's a human quality that we all have mm-hmm. and to give second chances. And that's something that you would like to be in, in that negotiation table, to be transparent as well. I mean, I'm no negotiation expert, but you know, every time I've... Uh, come across this topic, I think a lot of it is really about putting yourself in the other person's shoes or understanding their situation and what they want as as a bit of a starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, now that we're back to the new normal, with, uh, I, I guess during the pandemic, there was lots of, you know, fluctuations. I would imagine you guys had to, you know, remodel and then remodel again. Uh, I, I think as we're back to the new normal, low-cost airlines, from what you mentioned, still have relatively or rather it's it's an industry that's still highly susceptible to economic fluctuations that's right perfect. from from what you said you know the different oil prices uh, fuel prices uh to like even you know random events like bird strikes mm-hmm. a- any advice for cfos in industries that are susceptible to to such fluctuations well read the news <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I mean, there's no better the job. It's too late, no. <laughs> the, the job of a CFO is, you know, it can be quite taxing, especially in aviation, where anything can happen anytime, and your your service is, you know, going on twenty four seven. The thing is, you can never predict what's gonna happen in the future. You can only have a feel of it, and that's the reason why, uh, you have to read the news. Yes, it can be like you know, it already happened. That's correct. But the thing is, when it happened, or you would like to ask why it happened, who are the players there? Is it relevant to you know to to my geography? Because you see, an airline is dependent on its network, its network of flights. So if if I cannot fly my passenger from point A to point B, and they have already paid for it, I have to give their money back, right? And mm-hmm. if if that happens as well, I cannot profit from it. Meaning, you know, no ancillaries, no uh, additional uh, revenue sources for myself. I'm paying for fixed costs like leases. I'm paying for salaries. 
I'm paying mm-hmm. for insurance whether I fly there or not. So it's really important for me to have that kind of feel that, oh, okay, this is happening, say, in a particular country that is that I'm flying in. Would I, do I want to continue flying there? Should I advise my revenue management team to monitor the situation and, uh, and maybe try to streamline our flights there? If, if, and if I do that, I have to talk to the airport authorities and you know, explain that. Do I have that kind of luxury or not? Yeah, and also sounds like, you know, not just the news, but the news as to how that news pertains to your drivers, right? Setting up a little bit of, of feelers, of news, or, or maybe even like, you know, data uh, on each of your drivers and understanding how that impacts the business. Yes, that's why your ground services team is very important because they're the ones who are on the ground telling you that, oh, this is actually happening. And at the end of the day, as the CFO, you have to listen with a grain of salt because, you know, it's hearsay. <laughs> so, yes, it's, again, it's a balance of managing the information that you have, digesting it, and thinking, how would you be forward about it? How would you react towards it? And sometimes it's better to be proactive rather than be reactive. Or sometimes it's better to wait it out and see how it turns out rather than being, you know, is is this a uh, is is you know being the CFO for airline a twenty four seven job? It is a twenty four seven job. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think the role or how do you see the modern CFO in the next ten years? The finance function in itself is undergoing a lot of change due to AI, due to automation. So automation came first before AI, obviously. Uh, a lot of functions back office functions were being automated. Some jobs that can be done by five people can be just done by one person, especially who's technologically savvy. And then there are emerging functions as well, like uh, for data scientists. And before it was not, there are no data scientists, you would have a lot of clerks. Now you have to deal with a lot of information and you want to as much as possible capture them. Now, there's a lot of decision-making that's happening there. Because in decision-making, you have to eliminate, right? You cannot just entertain everything. You have to eliminate. When you make a decision, you're choosing one. You're prioritizing one. And then when you head for that direction, there's a multiple array of, <laughs> of path, again, in front of you. So what I'm trying to say here is that the CFO would, is not just looking after uh, himself or what he would be doing. Yes, definitely he should be. But he should also look at his function, the finance function as a whole, what would his team look like? How would they deliver value? How would they support him in that function? Would this be you know, a completely automated function, streamlined, and you know, the right people with the right skill set supporting him? Because the last thing that you want is someone who is modern, but is supported by people who are already outdated, who does not share his mindset or his vision. And you can also have, you know, a very savvy, a very technologically advanced team, but the CFO can be a bit conservative. So there would there there's a you know there can be a bit of a disconnect. So you would like to have to have first one find the right balance, and two that's the time that you would look forward and and see that oh okay, every industry adapts the future differently. You would say in 10 years, probably uh, a BPO center would look like this or an FMCG organization would look like that. But an airline industry may not have moved a lot. Why? 
because yes, there's a lot that's been uh, that we can do to improve our operations, but there's also a lot that is leveraged on how we deal with our external stakeholders, particularly the government, because an airline is a highly regulated or industry. The commercial aviation is a highly regulated industry. There's a lot of stakeholder management. There's a lot of submissions uh, in the government. And sometimes the government would require you to, to be still paper-based or to require a certain format. And sometimes those changes can be constantly changing according to who sits in the government. So we have to be cognizant with those. And sometimes it's easier to wait and see rather than be you know, very, very proactive. And oh, we will go there and, you know, and then we eventually have to dial back and say, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> take it back, take it back, take it back. The third point is, as a, apart from looking at, you know, being forward-looking, is the capacity to pivot. So it's not just all about going mm. forward, but maybe you want to go left. Maybe you want to go right. Maybe you want to slow down. Maybe you can reverse a bit maybe because you've just missed the exit and you can still have, you can still reverse. You mentioned, you know, before AI, there was automation. Maybe before automation, there was a bit of digitization. Mm -hmm. I think we're kind of sitting there right now. And, you know, like something you mentioned as well with digitization, you have so much data these days, right? right? It does strike me that one of the really important things is, is to focus, mm -hmm. right? And and like you say, cut out or or rather zoom in on 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 what data is important and what is not. And, and how, how do you as a CFO manage that today, right? With you know, all this data mm -hmm. that's sort of feeding into you. As I mentioned, it's all about focus. You would have a lot of data that you have, but you should also have a template. There should, there's a rhythm in everything that you do. It's not saying that the, that rhythm is unbreakable, but rather you have a rhythm that guides you. What are the critical points that you're looking at? And then if you have missed something, definitely you will miss something. You have to learn from that mistake. What went wrong? Did I miss this because this is I'm too much uh, rigid in my ways? Or mm -hmm. there is actually another wave coming in and I have to adapt to it. Because templates also change, right? That's correct. But it's always important to have a template. So in accounting, we have, we, we have a principle we call substance over form, which is we prioritize what is the context, the actual context, the actual truth over the format. But that does not mean that the format is not important. The form is very much important because in martial arts, you would always say that you have to have perfect form first before you deliver force. Because if the form is wrong, then you would might end up injuring yourself. And maybe with that, you know, what, what parting advice would you have for aspiring CFOs? For finance professionals who would like to become a CFO, first, it is something that's definitely within your reach. I would always say that the FPNA path is the easiest path towards the CFO. But if you are in controllership or in treasury, be good in that field, as in be very good in that field. Then when the opportunity comes, try to find uh, roles in FPNA or try to work on projects in FPNA. Because in FPNA, financial planning and analysis, you'd be able to hone your story uh, telling skills. You would be able to share uh, ideas succinctly, talk to business uh, partners, have that kind of effective business partnership because being a CFO is be, being an effective business partner, not just to the CEO, but to every function within the organization. 
you have to be able to translate financial data into their language, into operational language, to commercial language, and you have to sell them a, a, a vision, a strategy of how you will move them towards the future and you know, tying the numbers there in between. Because at the end of the day, people say, oh, I'm a numbers person. Yes, but they're also emotional beings. If you're able to connect the numbers with their emotion, with their imagination, you know, you would be a very effective CFO. It's just a matter of time before you would be able to you know, be in that finance director role, to the VP for finance role, or you know, being CFO in its in its true form and title. It's just a title, everyone. It's just a title. I'd like to thank you so much again for joining us today, Jared. I think it's not every day we get to speak to someone with such a diverse background and inspirational story and, you know, multifaceted like yourself, right? I, I love the way you took us through your approaches towards focusing on maximizing sort of customer value, on finding the balance between front office and back office, or the balance between the different types of information that you get. And finally, also being a co-pilot with a lot of heart in what you do. It's been an honor. Thanks again for being on CFO Talks. And we hope to catch you soon. Hoping to catch you soon again, Joel. It's an honor for me to be here. Thank you very much. Once again, thanks for joining us on Aspire CFO Talks. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and follow us and our guests on LinkedIn. That's it for this episode. And we'll see you on the next CFO Talks.